Guys, my name's Nick, if I haven't met you. Uh, I am the lead pastor here, and I'm going to be getting us into God's Word. In fact, I don't have any announcements. So, if you're ready, I'm ready. You guys awake? Yeah. Feeling good? Got your, your coffee or whatever? And a little bit of the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't hurt as well. Uh, so let's uh, open our Bibles up then to um, Luke chapter 11. If you need a Bible, you can go ahead and raise a hand. We'll get one to you. Um, we like to build everything we do, everything I say, our, our entire message, we want it to be keyed off of the, the scriptures. Um, and so I want you to be able to keep me honest, see what, see what I'm seeing, and uh, reflect on it with me this morning. So we're going to be in, again, the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 11. And then verses 1 through 13 now is what we're going to read this morning. Let me read it, pray, and then we'll uh, dive in. It says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Well, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish? Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Will you invite us to it, Lord? And so here we are, praying. We begin our services, I begin any sermon I ever preach with prayer, not just out of ritual or some sort of empty tradition, but because we believe that we need you. And more than that, we believe that you are ready, willing, and happy to come and help. So we don't think that anything we're doing here this morning can be done without supernatural, supernatural intervention from our Creator. We recognize that the hearts of men, by nature, are rebellious, hardened, dead. We realize in light of those things that we need you to come. We need the author of life to come and make us alive again. We need you to soften our hearts. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to open our ears. We need you, God, to help us see in your word, in your gospel, at the cross, the truth that our soul so desperately needs. 
the answer to all of our longings. We need you, God, to show us afresh. Some of us in this room need to see that for the very first time. So God, we're here, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. Would you teach us how to pray today? Would you teach us about the Father's heart? You have. Would you teach us about the great privilege? Would you teach us, God? Would you minister and bless? I pray you do all these things and more. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So we've spent now um, three weeks on verses one through four. Um, I might wrap back around. I haven't decided yet next week and, and, and talk a little bit more about it. But from the perspective of the whole Bible and prayer, as we see this pattern that he gives us there throughout the rest of Scripture. But we'll see. Um, but some of you have been with us. Some of you haven't. I'll, all I'll do is give a brief review here for literally a moment. Um, in verses 1 through 4, it just simply said, man, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. He's laid out a sort of pattern with given kind of priorities in the midst of it. I said, listen, at the end of the day, what we see is he's teaching us, hey, prayer involves adoring God for all that he is. In other words, calling him Father. Prayer involves uh, 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 surrendering ourselves to him. In other words, saying your name be hallowed, your kingdom come. I'm done with my name. I'm done with my kingdom. Let it, let it be about you. Now that I see how good and gracious and holy and perfect you are, let others see it. And then we said that prayer also involves this idea of knocking. And that was there in verses 3 through 4 where we talk to God about our personal needs. We come knocking on the door saying, I need bread. I need forgiveness for my sin. Or I need you to protect me. I need you. Don't lead me into temptation. Keep me strong in the, in the midst of the, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of this trial. Now, Last time we focused in on that idea of knocking there in verses 3 through 4. And I said that I got this image of, of knocking on a door from the parable that Jesus now gives immediately following those verses. So in 5 through really 8 is when you see this parable come out. About this guy knocking and knocking and knocking in the middle of the night. We're going to look more at this text in particular, verses 5 through 13 now this morning. Um, what I'm going to do just to kind of give you an outline is uh, do a quick exposition of those verses 5 through 13. Uh, from that, we're going to draw out really one main point, And that is this, God is ready and happy to give. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make very clear to us. God is um, ready and happy to give. But then what I actually want to do is circle back on this and ask, if God really is ready and happy to give, why does it so often feel like he isn't? I'm just going to let that sit in the air for a moment. <laughs> If we see in our text, and hopefully I'll make it plain, that God is ready and happy to give, why does it so often feel to us like he isn't? My sense is that uh, we, we run into some problems when we try to bring this text and connect it to our lives. Certain questions emerge. Really, I'm talking about the dilemma of apparent unanswered prayers. When a God says, I will lean in and listen, I will move, ask me anything, the door's going to open and you go, man, nothing's happening. What do you do with that? So I'll try to offer a bit of help at the end. Um, so first, God is ready and happy to give. This is actually the part of the sermon that I want to spend the least amount of time on. 
I think it's plain on the surface of the text, but we will look at it more clearly here. Uh, verses 5 through 13. I'll break it into two sections really for you. In verses 5 through 8, what you have is that parable. And then he comes out of the parable. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't always do this. Uh, and, he, and he tries to make sense of the parable for us. He interprets on it. He interprets it. He elaborates on it. He helps us understand what he's saying when he tells this story. So first, I want to look at verses 5 through 8 and this parable, this story that he's telling. When we look at those verses, what we see is that we come face to face kind of with a desperate man. There's a guy who it seems one of his buddies has, has been traveling, you know, he shows up at midnight, middle of the night, uh, knocking on the door, and, and, and this guy has nothing to put before his guest. He has nothing with which to play the host. He ate all his food, he doesn't have any fresh bread baked, that's what they did in the morning, and by the end it would be gone. Now, in the ancient world, this was a massive social sin. This was a serious dilemma because hospitality was a sacred duty, you could say. So this guy finds himself, we, we might say, big deal, tell the guy to go to 7-Eleven and get his own food. But for this uh, situation, it was like, man, I've got to find something for my guest. It's a big deal. So he, he he leaves his home, it would seem, and he's 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 running through the streets, and he comes to his friend's house, middle of the night again. Don't forget, and he's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door in hopes of getting some bread. It's actually quite a humorous scene if you're catching uh, what Jesus is saying here. But uh, notice in particular the man's response coming from inside. This is verse seven. The guy says this: "Do not." bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Uh, the indication is that probably this guy was uh, Poor, relatively speaking, so he just kind of had a one-bedroom home. Sometimes they'd have just one bedroom. There'd be a platform. The whole family would sleep on, maybe the animals and things underneath. Uh, so what you see here is this guy's in here laying in a room with the, his kids in the bed and things like that. And what's interesting is the, the whole issue in his mind isn't, uh, I don't want to give you bread. I, I, I want that bread for my breakfast in the morning. The whole issue actually is, don't you wake my children. Don't you wake up my children, which if you're a, uh, if you're a parent of young kids, I'm, immediately when I caught onto that in the text, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. Once the kids get down in the night, once we finally get things quiet, it's like I hear the angels singing over my house. Another, another round of hallelujahs going on, right? Like, this is, this is a special moment. <laughs> Mom and daddy time, rest, quiet. You know, we actually have special tricks where, like, how are we not going to wake them up? Like, here's, here's the parts of the floor that don't creak as we walk by there. You know, you're doing all this MacGyver stuff just to try to keep your kids asleep. Because the whole household sanity uh, depends upon the, how well your, your kids slept the night before. Well, that's kind of what you see going on here. But the, the funny part of it for me, the irony of it is that uh, he's yelling this response from the room with his kids. Don't wake up my kids! So it's like, if the knocking didn't do it, pretty sure the yelling did. But regardless, we get the point. This man is not having it. He's not interested in getting up out of bed. He's not interested in helping. Even though this guy is his friend. Listen, it's midnight. My kids are down. Go home, brother. Sorry, you lost this one. But this guy keeps knocking. This guy keeps coming. This guy keeps banging on the door. And here's what Jesus says. This is kind of the the grand finale of the story. I tell you, verse 8, though he will not get up and give him anything because this guy is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because he just keeps coming, because he just keeps bothering, because he just keeps bugging. Fine. Here's your breath. Go. All right, let's get back to sleep. 
Now, we need to see what Jesus is saying about prayer in this. And again, this is going to be elaborated upon as we move towards verses 9 through 13. But stop for a moment. I want to ask, what is God, what is Jesus saying about prayer and its relationship to God, our Father, in this story? I'll tell you one thing he's not saying. Just to be clear, he is not saying that God is like this dude laying in bed with his kids, okay? I want you to catch that. He is not saying that God is tired, he is selfish, he is reluctant to come and help, but if you badger him enough, if you bug him enough, he just might be roused from his slumber to come and help. That's not the point. Emphatically, that is not the point. In fact, the opposite is true. The image in my mind is you might come away thinking that, okay, God's like this pinata in the sky where there's initial resistance, right? But if I hit him hard enough, if I keep going long enough, I just might get the candy. That's kind of what I'm learning. I'm picking that up from the parable. Is that what you're after here, Jesus? No, that's not it at all. In fact, what Jesus is doing here is really leveraging what you might call like a lesser to greater argument. The idea is this. If even this tired, selfish, reluctant man will finally get up and give his friends what he is bugging him for, or give his friend what he is bugging him for, how much more? That's the key phrase. How much more? Will your father, who never sleeps, who, who, who is always thinking of you, who is ready and happy to give and invites your request, how much more will he give to those who ask? If even this bum will get up and give when he's bothered enough, how much more will your father, who it's his good pleasure, we'll see later, right? We've looked at that already, Luke 12, to give you the good, to, to give you the kingdom. If, 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 if that's the kind of father you have, how much more, when you come and knock, will that door just fling open? And he'll engage. We talk about it all the time, but I love that the, the, the story of the prodigal son. And now, man, it's, it, the, the son is coming for, he's like miles off. The son sees it, or the father sees it through the window, and he's running to the son. Father's not waiting. He's not waiting. The moment he sees you make a move towards him, the door flings open. That's the point. How much more? And that's what we start to see even more clearly as we move to verses 9 through 13. Look there at, at verse 9. Um, Jesus says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, if you camp out on that for a moment, that is one of the most stunning things you could ever hear Jesus say. And what oftentimes we might think when we hear that is how in the world can this be? And I love where Jesus goes next in verse 10, because he basically just says uh, the same thing again. And the redundancy is, in fact, kind of this reinforcement of the point. We hear the promise. We think, how can it be? Jesus' response essentially is, because it is. Check it out. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open for you. For which is supposed to establish the basis for these radical claims he's making, right? Here's the reason why this is true. That you can ask and it'll be given, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be able to for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. He just says the same thing again. Go, Jesus, that's not a basis. That's not a grounds. That's not a reason. He said, I know. But it's true because it's true. It's the case because it's the case. It's who my father is. The redundancy just reinforces the point. But in any case, what we see, he does go from here in verses 11 to 13 to start to provide a bit more of a basis for us. Why is it the case that whenever we ask, it's given. Whenever we seek, it's found. Whenever we knock, the door swings open. Why? 
he starts to lay a little bit more of the reasons for us there in verses 11 through 13. And what he does, um, hopefully by now you, you might expect it. He starts to talk about God as father again. He said, this is what a father does. This is what your father's like. That's why you can anticipate this being true. He is your father. Verses 11 through 13. Jesus shifts the image from the one in the parable, but he's making the same point. In the parable, he's talking about, if you caught it, this relationship between friends. But now he starts to talk again to this, uh, this, about this idea of father. God has father. He can't get away from this point. Perhaps if you were here, you remember, I spent a whole message on verse 2. And, and the idea of knowing God as father is the entry point of all prayer. That's what holds the whole thing together. Jesus says, okay, you want to know how to pray? When you pray, say, Father. That's where it all starts. And interestingly enough, that's where his whole discussion on prayer here is going to end. With, with, with more thoughts about God as our Father. Look at, look at these verses. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here we are likened to kids, if you notice, asking our dad for help. And Jesus makes the case that even though earthly dads are by nature evil, Often they still know how to give good gifts to the kids. Now you gotta love this, because Jesus just says it in passing. She kind of says, and you, evil as you are, can still be decent dads. You still know, hey, it's probably not good to give my kid a snake or a scorpion to play with. Perhaps I'll give him a little squeeze toy. But Jesus just says it like it is. It's amazing. If we were to say these sorts of things today, we would probably get stoned, but he, well, I suppose he does get crucified. <laughs> but he just says it. And here's his point. It's, 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 it's another one of those lesser to greater points. And it should be crystal clear by now. Here's what he's saying. If even fallen, unregenerate, evil dads have enough sense to not give their children serpents or scorpions, but instead give them good things. How much more will your heavenly father, who by implication is perfect, holy, the ideal in every sense of the term, how much more will he give you what is good? That's the idea. Now, I imagine you see the logic. You probably didn't even need me to explain it to you to, to kind of see the logic that Jesus is bringing and is putting forward here. But the bigger question I wanted to ask is, do you feel it? Do you know it? Seeing it and feeling it are two different things. I can know this is true from the page of Scripture. But do I experience it as truth in my life? Um, let me put it this way. Does anybody in this room feel like God has turned on you lately? Like you kind of got the shaft, like you're kind of in the, in the shed. Anyone feel like you've been asking Asking till your voice has gone hoarse. Nothing seems to happen. I didn't receive anything. Anyone feel like they've been seeking, 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 perhaps for years? I didn't find anything. Anyone feel like you've been knocking and knocking till your knuckles started to bleed? 
It doesn't feel like doors are opening. It doesn't feel like anything's happening. In fact, it kind of feels like I'm getting further away because the more I press in and nothing happens, the more discouraged I get. Been there? You there right now? This text says the door is going to fling wide for us. And yet, last time I prayed, I could have sworn I heard a deadbolt click. And the porch light went off. It says I'm a beloved son. Come on in. Sometimes it feels like I'm an unwanted guest. Unsure if God even wants me there at all. So in other words, if God is ready and happy to give, as Jesus is making abundantly clear, why does it often feel like he isn't? I'm not going to be able to do full justice to this. Gosh, I was up late. The main reason why I'm up late on Saturday nights is trying to figure out what not to say. I can't say everything I wish I could. But I will uh, give you four, maybe five. Reasons. Why does it often feel like he isn't? What do we do with what feels like unanswered prayers and the struggles that we have with a God who we're told is gracious and loving and ready to do all this? And we don't often experience that. First reason why we might not often feel like he is ready to give. This one just has to be said because it lays the groundwork for everything else. Uh, Sometimes it's actually because we're not asking. (laughs) Because we don't ask. Um, We might not know God as ready and happy to give because we're actually rarely engaging him or asking him for things at all. I I get this idea in particular from James 4, 2, where James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. You haven't even begun the conversation with him on all these things that you're worked up about. Let's start the conversation. Let's start talking to your father. Ask. Now, there are many reasons why we might fail to ask God for things in prayer, but it seems to me that one of the more significant reasons probably goes something along these lines. I'm just not sure that the stuff that I'm feeling or dealing with or wanting or whatever is is important enough to bring to him. It just feels like most of my kind of day-to-day things that I would think to even ask about would, would be too insignificant, too small for a God that big. Or if we were to put it a little bit uh, more harshly, we're not always sure he cares or would want to be bothered with the day-to-day details of our lives. So we might save our asking for a few big things, a few spiritual things, but not for just the day-to-day stuff, the everyday moments that we're in. Right? Now... Uh, I've been reading through, I've told you guys uh, the past couple weeks, I've been reading through that book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Strongly recommend it. A lot of my thoughts have been influenced by some of the stuff I read there. But I I came across his recounting of a conversation that he was having with his mom. Um, He had read some book on prayer and he said, man, it was a great book on prayer except for this one point that the author seemed to be implying. And that was essentially this, that listen, don't Pray, don't bug, don't bother your father about minute little details like like praying for a parking spot. I mean, if you've ever tried to, goodness gracious, we live in the Bay Area, uh, we probably all pray for parking spots. It's a, it's a disaster here. Maybe maybe not in other places, but it's just like uh, he's. This author was implying, listen, that can kind of border on irreverence. It's selfish. Kind of makes prayer perhaps a cheap thing, praying about something so silly as a parking spot. And um, Paul Miller was talking to his mom about this, and his mom happens to be an amazing godly woman who's written a number of books herself. And I love her response. This is what she says. She says, how else would you find a parking spot? <laughs> and I love it. She is Exactly right. She's on to the, 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 the sovereignty, the sovereign care and provision of God. And the danger that comes when we don't pray 
for that parking spot. Here's what I need you to see. When we don't pray about a parking spot, we're in effect trying to operate in that sphere of our life, that area of our life on our own. We're kind of saying, okay, this little thing over here, not big enough to bring to God. This is mine to worry about, mine to do. I got to muster up the strength. This is for me to figure out. I'm going to find out you get out of my way. I'm going to get that spot. This is for me. God will not be bothered about these sorts of things. But what happens is we kind of start to, to, to make this dividing wall that runs down our lives where this is the sort of stuff God cares about and we can talk to him about, pray. Things like when we go out evangelizing, maybe when we're, you know, reading the scriptures or maybe when we're going on a missions trip or we want to see someone convert, whatever it is, spiritual stuff. Okay, fine. Yeah, God's ears tune in. But then we have this on the other side of this wall, this place where we live day to day, like the place where I need food and the place where I uh, am struggling with a cold and I have a headache or my kid's not going to bed or I need a parking place. I need a spot to park so I can get into my meeting or whatever. And what ends up happening is this this dividing wall kind of separates God from the majority of our lives. We don't talk to him about it. We don't think he cares about it. And then we wonder why God often feels distant and kind of irrelevant to our day-to-day stuff. We are not asking. We're not uh, uh, talking to him about these things. What we need to realize is that God wants to be in every detail. That's what he's saying. We we touched on that last week when we looked at he's inviting us to pray for our daily bread. Well, here he's kind of amping that up even more. He's just turning up the wattage and saying, listen, if you didn't catch that, let me just say it again. I want you to keep coming in, knocking. I want you to keep barging through the door. I want you to let me know everything that's on your heart. This is probably a good time for me to bring up um, that there's this unique Greek word in verse 8. It's translated... Impudence. Now, you might not even know what that English word means. I didn't. <laughs> I had to look it up. It's actually a great translation of the Greek word, but let me tell you what the Greek means. First, maybe I should read it, that sentence to you in context again. This is where Jesus is saying, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This guy knocking on the door has whatever this impudence is. I might not even be saying it right. But the Greek word here literally means without respect, without modesty, without shame. This guy is shameless. The standard Greek lexicon defines the word this way. It's a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. It's a carelessness about the good opinion of others. It's an ignoring of convention. Don't you love that? This guy certainly making a racket in the middle of the night. The whole neighborhood's hearing him. is ignoring convention and is not concerned about the good opinion of others. He just knows he has a need. And he knows somewhere in there his friend has bread. I'm going to get that bread. And the crazy thing, you guys, is that Jesus holds this brother out to us as a role model, as the quintessential example for the praying life. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? God is saying, bother me, as if you could. Knock on the door, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. I love it. I want you to bring every detail. If you're thinking about it, Stop just thinking about it and turn it outward to me and talk to me about it. If you're thinking about, why can I never find a parking spot? Turn that into prayer and and talk to me about it. You don't have if you don't ask. Kind of the starting point to this whole thing. God really just wants to get us in the game. What I want you to see. That's where this begins is, just start talking. Now, it doesn't mean, and we'll see, that you're just going to get everything you want, that you just rub his little belly and everything you know that you ask for comes out. No, we're not talking about that. But he's just saying, get in the game. Let's start the conversation. Stuff will happen. I will shape. I will redirect. But start asking. Let's start there. Now, second reason why we might not experience God as... Um, 
uh, ready and happy to give is because we ask wrongly. We ask wrongly. Um, I can't spend much time on this one, but the fact is that some of us don't experience the Father as he's described in our text because we don't ask. But then others of us uh, actually don't experience that because of the way in which we do ask. And this is important to see. Um, This I get actually from where James goes next in James 4 verse 3 in that text I referenced earlier. He, he, He comes out of, hey, listen, if you don't ask, you won't receive. But then he goes on to say this, you ask and then you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, uh, the idea here is that you come to God and you're asking all right, but it's not with concern for relationship with Him or love for others in any way. It's just concern uh, for self. It's, hey, I heard you have the goods. I heard you have the candy. I want some. I heard that prayer might be an effective way of getting some of that stuff you have. So you're asking, but wrongly, to spend it on your passions, your lusts, the stuff that's actually got your heart way more than God does. And here's what we need to realize. The fact that God doesn't always answer these kinds of prayers doesn't make him a bad father. It actually makes him a good one. You hear me on that? Every parent, I would imagine, gets this. Like, you do. We get all worked up because we don't see our requests as being silly. We don't see the reality that Jesus is saying here, which is we are the kid in this relationship, he is the dad. We get all worked up when our prayers aren't answered because we assume we know what's best for us. Let me tell you something. My kids assume they know too. And so what kind of dad, just think about this. If I were just to give everything that they asked, what kind of dad would I be? If they come up and say, hey, dad, I know mom said I couldn't have another piece of cake, but can I? I'm a good dad. You could have the second piece. Sure. Third. You want a third? Fine. Or if they come up and say, Dad, I know it's a school night, but can I stay up, you know, and watch this or that movie, maybe till 11, maybe we'll press into midnight. Yeah, sure, I'm a good dad. Have fun, stay up. Make your next day horrible. Or, hey, Dad, we wanted to go play a little freeze tag with the neighbors in the middle of the street. Hey, sure, just make sure you put on some shoes before you go. Like what kind of a dad is going to do that? Not a good one. And so what we need to understand is on, 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 in this relationship that Jesus is establishing, we're in the, in the place of the kid who thinks we know and is crying out with all this stuff. But oftentimes it's with wrong intentions. And if you were to give it to us, it wouldn't go well for us. And so in love, he withholds. In love, he doesn't, he doesn't give that specific on what we're asking. I mean, let me just tell you, if I were to receive from God everything that I asked, it would be to my destruction. In fact, I wouldn't even be here. The only reason that I cried out to Jesus for salvation, forgiveness of sins, come into my life, change me, is because God broke me by not letting my dreams work out. Every time Israel gets all the goods and the stuff, they don't run to God, they run away from Him. And He actually withholds at times to bring them back. It's like Hosea and other places where he talks about, I'm going to take you out into the wilderness for a while. You don't have anything anymore and you can't keep thinking that all your idols are going to satisfy. They're not. You need me, your bridegroom. Come back. He'll do that with us because he loves us. That's what we need to see. He really wants us at the end of the day to wake us up and bring us back to himself 
He's the one that prayer is really all about. And that leads to the third reason I'd give us here. So first, sometimes we don't know God as ready and happy to give because we're not even asking. Uh, Other times it's because we're asking, but we're asking wrongly. Um, and God's trying to reshape and, 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 and move us towards uh, right affections, right desires for him. Third, now what we see is that um, God oftentimes has something better. Better than what we're asking, better than what we're seeking, better than what we're knocking for. We think we know he has something better to give us. So imagine this then as we kind of progress through these three. We start asking, but as we come, our hearts are all a mess and we're asking with wrong motives in the wrong ways, perhaps even for the wrong things. And God says, okay, I can work with that. We're in the game. Let's start talking. Let's start moving. Let's start engaging. And as he does, what we set, what, does, what we start to see happen is he shapes and he shifts our own heart. Like we come in perhaps with our own desires and hopefully we leave with his. Things have shifted. Things have changed as we engage with God in prayer and truly meet him there. Um, When it comes to prayer, uh, and this is a big one for me, so if you're falling asleep, try to tune in just for a moment. When it comes to prayer, it seems to me that one of the biggest problems we have is kind of the grid within which we view it. And here's what I mean. We tend to come at prayer through this idea, with this idea of of, of pragmatism or utility. Like, in other words, we'll try to pray for this or that thing on our prayer list or whatever it is. Maybe we'll pray once. Maybe we'll pray twice. If we're really holy, we'll pray a third time. But if it doesn't happen, we pull out, we kind of step back from this whole thing, and we say things like this. Prayer doesn't work. It's not pragmatic. It's not efficient. It's not producing what I am asking it to produce. Jesus says, ask and I'll receive. I haven't seen what I asked for. This is not working. I'm kind of over it. And oftentimes we approach prayer through this pragmatic lens, within this pragmatic grid. It doesn't Work, we think, but Jesus is not inviting us into that sort of prayer life. That's not what this is here. This is an invitation into not some sort of pragmatism, but relationship. Relationship with the Father. That's the grid that you should view prayer within. Not, what's it going to do for me? Where's the work that I'm asking it to, to produce? No, who's the one that I get to know through prayer? Who's the one who's hearing me and engaging? Relationship is the fundamental paradigm for prayer. So here's what this means then. When you go to pray, maybe for that parking spot. (laughs) Maybe you're praying for the parking spot. You say, okay, Nick said to ask for anything that's on my mind. I'm asking you, God, please, I need that parking spot. And you're going around. If you're, I'm imagining I'm at the, the, the mall parking garage at Oak Ridge or whatever, which is always the worst spot for me on a weekend. You're going around, floor one, nothing. God, please give me the parking spot. You're going around, floor two, nothing. God, where are you? Give me the parking spot. Going around again, three, I'm at the top floor, I'm in the sun. I find one in the far corner. And prayer didn't work. That's one way to approach it. The other is this. As you pray and as you ask, perhaps, perhaps the answer is no. Perhaps you don't get the prayer uh, that you are specifically asking for, that request. But I will tell you, you will get the Father. As you engage Him, He will be there to help. What you might find as a result of your prayer is not that it worked and you got the little spot that you needed, but instead that you had this engaging uh, moment with the Father wherein He gave you patience and strength to deal with the fact that you wouldn't find one. You hearing that? So we could knock, knock, knock a few times and then leave because it didn't work. Or we can knock, 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 and what we find, the door swings open, and we are engaging with God himself. 
And that changes everything about this whole prayer thing. I suspect that this is why Jesus comes out the way that he does um, in our text. There in verses 11 through 13, verse 13 in particular. But let me read this to you. I wonder if you noticed. He says this, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the what? Holy Spirit to those who ask him. We should step away from that for a moment and go, Holy Spirit? Who said anything about Holy Spirit? We were talking about bread. We were talking about an egg. I don't really like eggs all that much, but pancakes would be better. But an egg? Now you're talking about Holy Spirit. You see, what we find in prayer is that we might come in asking God for stuff, but what he ultimately gives us is himself. Isn't that amazing? He gives us his Holy Spirit. What is that? But himself, the Father's heart poured into you. The Son's life poured into you. Intimate, abiding relationship with God so that if you don't get the parking spot, you have the strength of the Spirit to still have the fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness. You might even say after you're done asking, you might even do one of those amazing things that sometimes people do. It's a miracle. When two people are coming to the same parking spot, you might just go, hey, you know, a little wave. Just I can't even believe I just saw that. I'll go and thank you. You might do that. Because God's changing your heart. And you have the Father. You have God. A parking spot. What is that? Things shift. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You, you find that He's given you something better. You just have to know to look for that. Uh, think of this with me for just a moment. Jesus is praying in Gethsemane three times on his face. God, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through the cross. What's God's response? A good dad gives his kid anything he asks. No. He says, I'm sorry, son. This is how we're going to save the world. Trust me, on the other side of the resurrection, it's going to be amazing. But for now, here's what I can do. What does he do in Luke's gospel? He sends an angel to strengthen him. I'm here. The door opened. Even if the answer is no, the door is open. Help is here to get you through. Or you think of Paul praying in for, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, I think it is, where he's three times asking God, please remove the thorn in my flesh. Whatever that is, we're not sure. Please remove it. Remove it. It's hard. I don't like it. What does God do? Well, a good dad gives his kid anything that he has. No, he comes down. Jesus comes down to Paul and says, I'm sorry, but my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, he gives the Holy Spirit so that, that though that thorn isn't removed, Paul would have power and strength to endure. The door is open. Knock. It's not going to be closed in your face. It just might not be exactly the thing you're asking. It just might be better. Fourth reason I would give us for why we don't often experience the, um, the, uh, that God is ready and, and, and happy to give uh, is that he's telling a longer story. He's telling a longer story. It's really interesting. I mean, maybe in years to come, I'll do an entire series on this. 
But I'd never noticed this before. And you'll have to take it for what it is, because um, I haven't seen it in any books. I, I could be off. But it seems to me that when we go back up to verses 2 through 4 of Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gives us, every line, as Jesus is teaching us how to pray, every line has striking parallels to Israel's story, particularly as they were drawn out of slavery in Egypt to freedom and redemption in the land of promise. I'm going to show you this in bullet point fashion just so you can see it, and then I'll explain why this is important and how this connects to the idea of God telling a longer story with your life and mine. The prayer that Jesus gives us begins, as we said, with this idea of Father, calling God Father. But I wonder if you realize that the very first place God reveals himself to his people as Father is at the Exodus. This is what he tells Moses in Exodus 4, 22 to 23. Say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my what? Firstborn son. Let my son go. In other words, I want them to know me as father. I'm going to be father to these kids. Crazy as they are. Let my kid go. That's how the whole Exodus story begins. Then Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. Really, I wonder if you recognize this. It was a concern for God's name that moved the whole Exodus narrative forward. Exodus 9.16, God says this, Say to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. When the nations hear about what went down in Egypt as Yahweh comes in for his children, Israel, man, my name is going to go out. They're going to know I'm great. They're going to know I'm gracious. They're going to see my glory. My name will be hallowed. Jesus teaches us to pray next. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Well, I wonder if you know that the first place in the scriptures we ever encounter the idea of God as king explicitly is right after he walks the Israelites through the Red Sea. And they're singing on the other side. This is one of the lines from Moses' song, Exodus 15, 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. He took, this was a clash of kingdoms there in Egypt. And our king conquered. His kingdom came. Jesus then teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That one's clear on the surface of it. Everybody sees that. It's talking about manna. It's hearkening back to the story of the bread that would fall from heaven as God provided daily for his people as they were walking through the wilderness. I will provide you daily needs. Ask me for daily bread. Jesus goes on, forgive us our sins, we're supposed to pray. Well, did you realize that it's, it's, it's as Israel is passing in the wilderness, as they're taken to Mount Sinai, that God establishes the whole sacrificial system for forgiving their sins, making atonement for them. And then finally, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation while the wilderness The wilderness is the place of testing. It is the place of temptation. That's why Jesus goes there uh, in Luke 4 when he's going to be tempted by the devil. It's the wilderness. It's out there. That's what Israel is walking through. And God does what? He leads them. Pillar of fire by night. Pillar of cloud by day. He leads them through the wilderness and the place of trying to the land of promise. Now you say, who cares? (laughs) What is that? matter the whole story of israel from egypt to canaan is invoked in the lines of this prayer that jesus is teaching us but why does that matter i wonder if you remember israel's story i wonder if you remember the tension the conflict the struggle the depression that they felt in the midst of the longer story. 
I mean, there were times where even though they had seen God do amazing things, perhaps like you and I, in the moment, they felt like we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking, and nothing is happening. You have brought us out here to kill us. You're not for us, you're against us. But was God against them? No. He was telling a longer story. And we have this perspective. Jesus is saying, when you pray, I want you to be thinking of it in, 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 in light of Israel's story, which is really going to be the story of the church as we're brought from slavery to sin and the devil to the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. It's our story that he's telling. And it's longer than just today. And so there may be things that today feel unanswered. Today you feel like he has abandoned you, just like Israel. But listen to me, those things that you feel unanswered today may very well be answered in miraculous, amazing, unimaginable ways tomorrow. He's telling a longer story. Now, I had a... um, book out last night before bed uh, I was reading to my kids and there's this book that has these little devotionals in it and um, we're flipping through the pages with Levi I promise I'm almost done here I think yeah um, flipping through the pages with Levi and uh, <laughs> he stops on a page in fact you could show it now Andrew if you have it uh, he stops on a page and um it was so awesome because he, he, he like wanted to go back to it. And what he said, he, his little finger comes out like that. And then it just made me cry because he just goes, Dada. And, and, then, and then he said, walk, Dada. You know, something that we do during the day, we walk together. And uh, when you look at what the author was writing about this story, of course, she's writing about God as our Father taking our hand and walking with us. And, you know, I thought, gosh, what an amazing picture. This idea of the longer story that he's telling, that it's hard. But he gives us himself and he walks with us in it. Like, I realize I'm that kid. Like, I'm the one who's going, where's the hand to hold when life gets hard? When it feels like things are not being answered, doors are not opening, where's the hand to hold? And he's right here, brothers and sisters. He gives his spirit, he is present, and he's walking with you through this unfolding story, and he will be with you to the end. Let me just read you what this woman wrote, reflecting on Isaiah 42.6. She says this, When you're in the dark, or on the narrow path, you need someone to lead you by the hand, to hold your hand tight. You need someone to rely on. Well, God says we can rely on him. She's imagining God saying this now. I've got you by the hand, and I'll never let you go, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. You always have a hand to hold you. I will lead you, guide you, keep you, and here's a key line, even through death, I won't ever let you go. He's telling a longer story, brothers and sisters. He's with us. In that story, to the end. You want to know what the end is for you and I? You want to know what the end of the story is for you and I? It's glory. You want to know what you're going to find there? You're going to find that everything you've ever asked for and more is abundantly provided for you in Jesus. You're going to see him face to face. You're going to find out that everything you've ever sought after and thought, man, if I just get that, I will be happy. You're going to find, man, all of that is here as I'm face to face with God in him. Or you're going to find that every door you've ever been knocking on, I want this, I want this, I want this. Doors are going to open up. You're going to find everything you ever wanted there in the presence of your father. He's telling a longer story. He's with you in it. Let me say one last 
One final reason why we might not understand or see God uh, as happy and ready to give is that we've lost sight of the cross. We've lost sight of the cross. I read this text often. I don't have time to elaborate much on it. Now let me read this to you just so you can hear it. It's another lesser to greater argument. It's Romans 8.32 where Paul says this, He, God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. The logic is if God is going to lay down his highest treasure for you, sinner as you are, if he's going to lay down his highest treasure on the cross so that you can come up into his lap and talk and ask and seek and knock and find fellowship with him, how much more can you be sure he's with you now? He's going to give you what is best for you. So what we have to understand is that Jesus is teaching us, back in our text, Luke 11, he is teaching us about something that he himself will embody for us very soon. His eyes are set on Jerusalem. If you remember Luke 9, he is going to the cross to die. He can say, listen, ask, seek, knock. I know my father will give. How do I know? Look, he's giving me. I am the greatest gift that the Father will ever give you. I am laying down my life. If he lays down his highest treasure, he's not going to recoil when you come to him for pocket change. You can be sure. He's going to do everything good. Good father should for his kids. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving your son. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for helping us as we come and ask for all sorts of things that need to be redirected and we need you to shape. I thank you that you're willing to deal with us in the midst of that and our confusion. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to hope again. Teach us to trust that uh, even when the answer is no, you have something better. You're telling a longer story. You're not withholding. You've given your best. God, we seek you now in prayer. We seek you now in worship. God, we just give you thanks that we can know you as our Father through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Guys, this is the time in our service where we do...